Will you turn with me to John chapter 1? John chapter 1. What I'd like to do is look a little bit at Peter's life. I started glancing at it, and I thought, well, we can catch this and this, and I realized we would be bouncing from Scripture to Scripture, catching this and that and other things. And I thought, well, we're going to settle in a little more and catch more than specific points that you'd have to go back and catch the context. Tonight, I want to actually catch the passage and see what's being presented for us. And so Peter is jokingly, humorously, maybe metaphorically, it's accurate to say he's the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. He tend to speak kind of like on the fly and go, well, that's not the way I meant it. Or maybe he didn't even back it up with that. He just might have doubled down because he's a man. And so that may be the case. Who knows? Well, let's look at John chapter 1. And I'm gonna ca- we'll catch the context of this. And we're going to begin in verse 35. And John the Baptist is, is on the scene. And, and that's kind of where the focus is in this first portion. And he has people following him. And, he, and people are starting to see this ministry that God has brought about through this man who was going to bring the, the he was the forerunner to, to declare, prepare yourself for the one who is to come. And in verse 35, it says, again, the next day John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following and said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. It was about the 10th hour. Now in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, speaking of the anointed one. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. So let's look at a couple things there that I would maybe I'd like to point out for application for us. Andrew. Andrew was willing to learn, agreed? So he's following John the Baptist. He sees something in this man, very unique, and he senses this guy is is representing the Lord. He speaks of the Lord. But that guy tells him to go follow this other guy. But John the Baptist used a very beautiful but seemingly odd description of the Lord. He didn't say, go follow Jesus. Because that would have been, that's his, that's his name, he, would have, he could have done that. But he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. And I'm sure when he said that, you know, um, when John the Baptist said that to the um, two disciples, they had to think, the Lamb of God. I believe they understood what was being said. The Lamb in in the Old Testament pictures was very, very clear. The ultimate lamb, the ultimate sacrifice. Here's the lamb of God. And I wonder, can you, do you not see what I'm saying? Because I, I think we miss it sometimes because 
we perceive or maybe subconsciously assume that when things happen, everybody knew what was happening. But when you break it down, you realize they were just like you and I. I mean, even the prophets were told in Peter that the prophets longed to live in the day we live in because they spoke and, and spoke of things that functionally, it just didn't make sense to them. It made sense from a prophetic thing, but they're like, man, when, when will this day come? And so they even taught many times where they're, they're figuring it out and looking at it and go, wow. And, and Andrew was willing to learn. And, and another thing, you know, I think this is pretty powerful. Peter listened to his sibling concerning the Messiah Jesus. And so here, Andrew's saying, I'm now following this other guy. And Peter listened. And you might think, well, that's a little sidebar, a little small thing. Well, actually, not so, much, not so much. Sometimes it's harder to receive from those who are closest to you. Sometimes they're the ones we just assume. It's proven out the principle in sometimes the way we engage when things are awkward. When things are awkward and you get out of your car and you walk together into Walmart, but you didn't resolve anything, and now you're in Walmart. And you're, however your deal is, you're maybe giving each other the silent treatment or, you know, you know, kind of a breathing disorder kind of thing or whatever. You're moving along and you see a total stranger that says, do you know where the bread's at? Oh, yeah, it's right down the aisle. You'll find it just down there. This, this really pleasant voice shows up. And then that stranger moves along. It's like, now what were we talking about? I mean, you see what I'm saying? Because why would it be different when you engage with a stranger than, well, because you know that other person. And there's a secular uh, proverb, um, if you would, that really has a biblical base, is worded different, but familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity, when we get familiar with things. And so I just say, be careful, because sometimes God will bring people into your life that you're very familiar with. And he'll bring a beautiful nugget, a beautiful truth, an ember to spark in your heart, a deeper walk with the Lord, but he may bring it through somebody you didn't think was very spiritual or didn't think was very spiritual at that moment. I had a situation when our oldest daughter, Danielle, was I think three or four. And she just had shared, she just said something. And I'm like, wow. I, it was, I couldn't escape it. I mean, she's just being a kid and three, four years old and says this truth. And I'm like, all of a sudden, I couldn't argue against it. It made sense. But I, I literally didn't get up that morning and go, man, I got to catch Danielle before we change her diaper. I got, well, it's too old for that. I got to catch her before she eats her cereal. Or we had a dog that she would, Danielle would be like, she'd have to go to the bathroom while it's breakfast time. And she'd like, don't let Buffy eat my food. Because <laughs> this was a good crafty dog and knew how knew when to make its move, you know. So she's just, you know, I used to convey that little, you know, childhood memory. But she just was somebody I didn't look to, but I did receive from. I want to encourage you in that regard. Receive from whatever, whoever God brings the truth for, through. Um, listen. Peter also confirmed what Andrew had presented. He said, okay. Let's go for it. Let's go check it out. Notice what's said there uh, with Jesus' engagement with Peter. 
Jesus knew Peter before Peter knew Jesus. It's the same for all of us. It's so simple, so elementary. It's like, Dan, why do you cover these things? It's like, well, because it's the elementary things we often forget. And sometimes in the, in the myriad of our, our concerns and the complications of life, we forget God already knows. Jesus knew Peter before Peter knew Jesus. Jesus' view of Peter was probably different than Andrew's view. Andrew probably didn't see Peter as stable, solid, sure foundation. That's what Jesus nicknames him, Patros. You you are the rock, solid and sure. And even as we would read through the life of Peter, there seems to be a lot of emotion. There seems to be a lot of vacillating, if you would. But yet Jesus said this, you're the rock. You will be the sure foundation. And we know that Peter will actually be a solid leader in the early church. Peter will have the truth of salvation poured into him, and that truth will be what the church is built on. It's not built on Peter. Some people misunderstand that. So Matthew 4.18, you know, Peter is called to learn to follow more closely you know, so they go from here, and then Matthew will give us kind of a chronology a little bit. And so they're introduced to, the disciples are introduced to Jesus. Peter meets him, and then seems to continue doing life, continue trying to sort out this encounter, this situation. Matthew 4 says that they, that Jesus invited them to follow him, and they left what they hadn't followed him. And I believe there's another event, which is not the same as Matthew 4, in Luke chapter 5, and we'll go there next. Luke chapter 5, specifically in the beginning in verse 1. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Um, looking back over the last 35 years of teaching the Bible, this uh, always probably shows up on my top five preferred teaching texts. Um, partly because it just resonates in my heart so much. Let's read the context, catch the key points like we did there out of the John text. In verse five, chapter 5, Luke, beginning in verse 1, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put a little out from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When Jesus had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. 
And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let's take a look at a few points from that text. Peter is once again called, invited to come closer to Jesus. Uh, We can see some key points there in verses 3 and 4 where Jesus got into one of the boats and asked him to put out a little from land. This was his business. This was Peter's business. And Jesus met him there and just said, hey, I'll meet you where you are in your everyday life. And so interestingly enough, in his everyday life, then Jesus shines the light of truth to the audience that had gathered on the shore. And of course, so many on the shore Jesus then moves out in the boat to be able to have a natural amphitheater, if you would, to be able to teach. But he's using what is one of his disciples' resources, if you want to see it that way. We know he could have just walked out on the water, because he does that. But he doesn't. He chooses to just show the supernatural in the natural. He begins to just present this and teach them. As he's teaching them, you see, you know, um, he, he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And, and I'm sure Peter's like, he's fished all night. And he was mending the nets. He's getting ready for the next time he goes out, which would be after a nap, which would be after he's rested. And so I don't know, maybe he was able to track, I, I think, from what we see of his mannerisms, as Jesus is talking to him, he's he's fixing up a net, he's sharpening a hook, you know, whatever, he's trying to stay focused or however. But something happened when Jesus stopped teaching. We see it in verse 4. He said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So even then, the knowledge of... the from the fishery biologists and the experts was like, that's not how you do it. It's not where the fish would be schooling. That's not where you'd be casting out your nets, not this time of day either. And so Peter is actually being invited while tired to do something that was contrary to productive work. It just wouldn't make sense. It's like, gosh, I don't know that this is the way to do it. Do you see how he answers? Very respectfully. Um, very, very, maybe confidently, but I believe very truthfully, Master, we, we've toiled all night and, and, and we haven't caught anything. And then there's that beautiful pause between common logic of the mind and the stirring of faith in the spirit. Nevertheless, nevertheless, it's kind of like where there's the will is now being released a little bit. He's like, never. I, I, I don't think it's going to work. I don't see how this is going to change anything. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. At your word, I will. And so at that prompting, he, he didn't just chuck him over and say, well, fill him. It was literally, at your prompting, I will let down the net. And of course, we see there in verse 5, you know, as he's saying, I'll let down the net, and then verse 6, and when they had done this. It's interesting. It's either when they, indicating maybe someone else was in the boat, which the text doesn't tell us that, 
We know others come out with the other boats. So who would the they be based on what we know from the text? Jesus and Peter. When they had let down the net, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. and Their net was breaking. I mention that because Jesus is right there in the mix of us. He's right there literally as the he teaches us. He's not physically like holding things up, but he literally through his presence, through his word, he is our strength, our very present help in time of need, the Bible tells us. Unfortunately, or whatever it may be, we don't always look to that. We don't always hold on to that. We don't always allow that to stir and be awakened within us. Glance down to verse 8. Peter fell on his knees at Jesus' feet. They were fell at Jesus' knees and depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. That's just humility. He's realizing. Have you ever had something where you're thinking one thing and you're thinking it, but then it just becomes completely disproved? And although you hid it, you didn't verbalize it, you realized it. You knew in the moment you thought that person was ding, 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 ding. And then all of a sudden, it's proven otherwise. You're like, you might be thinking like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't say something. But think about where Peter's at. He's at a point, I believe, where he's just trying to figure out who Jesus is. And, and I don't believe he really thought this is going to be a, 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 a haul, a, a financial success, because they're commercial fishermen. They're not sport fishermen. And this, is a, this boosted the bank account. I don't believe he thought anything was going to happen. We fished all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. He knows his doubt. He knows his thoughts. He knows who he is before Jesus. And then he sees this hall. And the beautiful thing about humility is he bows before the Lord. He bows before the Lord and said, man, I'm a mess. Jesus didn't say it, but we know it's true. I know that. Jesus knew he was a mess before he called him. Peter was the only one that thought he was well put together. Jesus knew that he knew, he knows. And so it's such an encouragement. Not that we can say, well, you know what you got. It's like, no, we want to realize, man, I, I, God has done this. This is an amazing thing right here. And he says, I, I humbly just says, I, I, you know, I'm not worthy to do this work. I'm not competent. I'm not capable. I'm rotten to the core. No, God, Jesus, maybe somebody else. But look how Jesus responds to him. We're told the, their reaction, they were astonished because of how much they had caught. But look in verse 10. When Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. Jesus knows and comforts him. He knows who he is and he comforts him. He says, basically, do not be afraid. There's a greater purpose in this life. He didn't say you'll never fish again. Because a fisherman, that would be scary. <laughs> Even if it is a commercial fisherman. There's just something about fishing and the human experience, young or old, there's just something about it. But what he did say is there's a greater purpose in this life. And you know, he said, I will make you fishers of men. Using what you have, what you know, who you are, I can work in and through you to accomplish things you never would have dreamed of, never even thought of. You would have separated. Oh, that's work. That's church. Oh, that's family. That's friend. That's this. That. He's like, no, no. In everyday life, 
I, you, my light will shine through you. We know all the text. I'm the bread of life. He tells us about these various uh, pictures and metaphors and illustrations to convey that there's a greater purpose in this life. In verse 11, we're told they forsook all and followed him. Forsook all speaks of to lay aside, to let it go. They change their priorities, we would say. They have a New Year's resolution you might lean towards. But two things happened there. They changed their priorities and they followed him. They didn't start their own thing. They didn't come up with their own idea. They just followed him, which will carry us into our next portion of Scripture to consider, Matthew 14. Matthew chapter 14. They've been following him. Jesus literally prayed all night before he picked the disciples. It wasn't a warm body ministry. I don't know if you know what that means, but when you just get any warm body and have them do something. No, this was, he literally prayed all night. He, he, there was a uniqueness and there was something very individual and he knew that these are the ones that the Father would have. These are the ones that would be a part of this, this ushering in the truth of all history, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have in verse 22 of Matthew 14, he's just fed the 5,000, which we know was probably more in the 15,000 range. And so now, you know, they have all eight, all the men and the women and the children, and immediately there in verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. Verse 24, But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's consider some points out of this particular section. Jesus had sent them into the storm. Doesn't sound very nice, does it? <laughs> he sent them into the storm. Fourth watch, I believe, is 3 to 6 in the morning. 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. We know from the text that he had sent them away. They sent them in the boat. And then it says in verse 23, when evening came, he was alone there. So indicates to me that they were in the boat before sunset, potentially. So now we're, we're getting a broader picture of a trial. This is a big storm. 
significant storm. Winds come off the hills of Galilee pretty significantly. And so this particular time, they're, they're, they're tempest-tossed is one term. They're, they're working, they're hard against us. But understand, Jesus sent him into the storm not as punishment, but as preparation. It's always, never as punishment, it's preparation. So they're in the storm. It's understandable, verse 26, that some of them were scared, said they were troubled, saying it's a ghost. It's a good response from scared, worn-out fishermen or any one of us. After, If you've been in, in a trying situation, and even to the degree of life-threatening, and especially at the hand of what the world calls nature, you know, you, I've been in some situations that are really scary. And, and when they don't let up really fast, you don't, you don't wear out. You just get more and more afraid. You know what I mean? The mind starts thinking of all these other things. And, you know, anyway, you, you're familiar. It's understandable you'd be afraid. It would be foolish to not have some sense of fear. Like, what's going on? How's this going to unfold? Verse 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them. You know, when they cried out of fear, when they seen his figure off in the distance and they could not tell whether it was a person, what it was, and they're like, what is this? You know, because you already have a lot of fear. He said immediately, be of good cheer. The, the word translated there speaks of, of comfort and courage and calm. He didn't say be happy. He's literally be comforted, be, be strong, and yet be calm. Verse 28, it's very, very important that you and I understand this principle. Most importantly, the order. Look in verse 28. Peter answered Jesus and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Don't tell God what you're going to do for him. Wait for him to invite you to him. Do you see why the order is important? Many people in the world you live in, they call it faith. They call it whatever when they just go do something and they tell God they're doing it for him. It, it, can you imagine, you know, Peter didn't jump in and say, catch. You know, he didn't say, you owe this to me. You, you know, I'm, I'm a, you'll be glorified by the way I do this. He just said, Lord, if it's you, Lord. I mean, here's Peter who's admitting, I'm not sure. But if it is you, invite me to come out, and I'll come. Really weird request from a fisherman. You know, they don't wear life jackets per se. They, don't, they didn't have any, like, you know, requirements. They didn't pull up to the dock and pick a couple of them old ugly orange ones on and put them on. You know, they're, they're, they're like, you know, different way of living. Let me put it this way. I fished with a lot of fishermen that are really, like, probably more like Peter's way of thinking. They don't swim. They can swim. They just don't. Because why would I get in the water when I'm trying to pull the fish out of it? So my point being, I really don't think they did a lot of fish, a lot of swimming. And yet he's saying, I, I want, I'm going to walk to, I want to go to you. In the unknown and in the uncomfortable. It's very important to have this order. Lord, if it's you, give me confirmation, give me clarity, give me a, a certainty of your invitation. And especially that way if you're inclined to walk on water. I got to go on the Sea of Galilee in, um, last year, I think it was, September. And no, actually it would be 22 because we're in 24. And uh, 
the guy on the boat, because we're on the Sea of Galilee, a tourist type of thing, and, and he says, listen, he literally has to say this every time. You're here in the Holy Land. This is an amazing place. You would be surprised how many people sense a call from God to walk on the water and want to climb out of this boat. The only thing we ask is you put your life jacket on first. We'll get you later. And he literally people do it. They think that it, it, there's... It, but he, too, this, this guy who then later shared a beautiful text, you know, in teaching on the Sea of Galilee, he said, your order's wrong. If God isn't inviting you, and if you think he is, you better make sure. You, you better have a clear confirmation from the word. And anyway, make sure you get the order right. Does that help? Because I know some people get worked and manipulated and, 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 on, and, and false teachers tell you that you're supposed to do this and this, and then God will come through. You just got to, by faith, step out and do it. You're, you're not going to find that reversed principle in Scripture. You're going to find this, his invitation, his calling, and then you'll know, okay, here we go. In verse 29, you know, um, where's Peter going? When Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. That's where he's going. Now look at verse 30. What was capturing Peter's attention? Verse 30. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Something was capturing his attention. Where he started out with his invitation to keep your eyes on me, that the storm around him and the things about him caught his attention. And Peter does the the most beautiful thing, the smartest thing. (laughs) Lord, save me. That's what he says. Lord, I, I don't know all that happened. Lord, just directly back. He's a focus right back to him. And notice what Jesus said. No, you're going to sink for a little bit. Until I see bubbles and you learn your lesson, I'm not reaching out. Well, actually, that's the new dance standard. That's not the one you want to read. Notice what Jesus says. What tells about Jesus. Peter, as he's sinking, it's boisterous. And immediately Jesus Jesus stretched out his hand. Immediately stretched out. It's not like Jesus was going to let him sink if he didn't ask. But remember, how did they get on the water in the middle of a storm and on the Sea of Galilee in the first place? Jesus sent them. Jesus sent them. And in the midst of the storm, when all it doesn't seem like the best time to be teaching lessons, he's actually showing them his love, his readiness, his rapid response. His presence. At times when I'm sure Peter is not thinking what, you know, he's just like, ah. So we then have the reality that God's timing is always perfect. And then the gentle words that we all need to learn. And I believe these were very gentle words. I don't believe they're words of harsh correction. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You know, why did Peter doubt? Well, from the text, he saw the wind was boisterous. But that's not why he doubted. Because it was boisterous before he stepped out. The only thing that changed is that Peter knew Jesus was there. That's why he stepped out. So looking at Jesus, Peter requested an invite to move out of the unknown or out of the known into the unknown. And then after a few steps in the unknown, which you and I are very familiar with, Peter was back looking at the world around him and not the Savior that was before him.
And so all this is like rapidly happening. I don't know the distance. I don't know how many steps. I don't know where the boat is and how far Jesus is and where, you know, his descent started. I don't know how rapid it was. All I know is he was close enough to Jesus to connect. But all this helps you kind of see he's learning as he goes. Why did he doubt? Because he's smart. Right? People drowned in these situations. Literally, people drowned in these conditions. But Jesus invited Peter to come closer to him. And he will invite you into really risky situations according to human rationale. And in those risky situations, you will be distracted. But do the one smart thing. Cry out to the Lord. Because immediately, Peter is now reconnected. Keep your eyes on the one who loves you and invites you closer. When they got back in the boat, they all worshipped him. I add a little part in my own opinion. They got back in the boat, they all worshipped him, and then when it was quiet, the other apostles said nothing and wondered, huh, what would that be like? What was that like? What was that like? They all have been on the water. What an experience, just willing to step out. What, man, what an amazing thing. So, got one more section. Let me look if we're going to get to it. In Matthew 16. I'm looking at the clock, because you guys like it when I do that, because that's a good idea. We're going to save that. We'll, uh, We'll catch that one another time. We're going to turn to Philippians We're going to close out with Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, verse 12 specifically. In Philippians 3, 12, we have another disciple, an apostle, a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, a man that God took through some amazing experiences, very similar to, to Peter, quite honestly, the apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul writing now from a, letter, uh, from a place of jail, and a word of encouragement, a letter of joy, Philippians. But he's also sharing from a personal reality and a knowledge of himself. And he's sharing these things. And the context is he talks of you know, what he has by human measure. How he was born right. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Eighth day, he was, a, as he says, the stock of Israel. He was a, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee. Um, he was personally zealous. So he was, he was born right. He trained right. He lived right. But he come to the realization because of his relationship, because he was born again, those former things were of no benefit in regards to righteousness with God. He actually considered them completely wasteful. There was there no value. Anyway, I won't get into the description that he uses, but you can research it on your own. And then in chapter 3, verse 12, he, cont- he starts to talk about the, the joy of the, the benefit of the sufferings and in the closeness with, with Jesus. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, 
but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. He's basically saying, to, you know, if you consider what we've looked at, let us choose to grow. Let us not think I've arrived. I'm, you know, yeah, you're doing, hopefully, I hope you can say I'm doing better than I was a month ago. I'm more, you know, in sync a little bit. I'm more in step. I'm more responsive than I was a year ago in regards to spirituality. But more than anything, I want to be saying, you know, I, I do want to move forward. I have to clarify because it's it's different in the sense of how this is presented in, in, in the English language. You know, he says, forgetting those things which are behind. How do you forget something? And, and if you remember it, did you forget it? It's hard, right? Because you say, well, I just want to forget those things. What you need to understand is the word there speaks of it means to neglect. Something that you formerly give attention to, you no longer give attention to. You neglect that. Now, normally when we think of neglect, it's like you neglected the maintenance on the car, you neglected to get this done, and it's kind of in a negative tone. But this is actually conveying to you and me <clears throat> those hard things, those things in our life that we maybe were misplaced values or really difficult things. We used to give them a lot of attention, especially in the moment. But now we're to neglect them. We don't give them the attention we used to give. You don't forget doesn't mean to remove from the mind because the things, the hard things, the difficult things we've went through actually have shaped and formed us into the first people we are. Some things will not be removed. They cannot be removed. They're a part of who you are. But you can neglect them. In other words, you don't give them the worry. You don't give them the, the thought. You're not consumed by them. You're learning, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You're holding on to the latter portion of Philippians 4, where you're anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, letting your requests be made known to God. Continuing in chapter 4, you're learning to think upon these things, those things that are right and noble and just and praiseworthy, to meditate upon those things. See, we're not letting the mind pull us back in to the heartbreak. We're realizing, okay, God, forgetting those things which are behind, I'm going to neglect them. I'm going to press forward to the things which are ahead. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this night. Thank you for your word of comfort and encouragement. And Lord, I, I just, I know for each one of us, it can be a challenge sometimes to to take hold and we receive and we recognize it in this setting, in this environment, it's, it's so encouraging and it's, it's, it's uplifting and it's so liberating and it's so nice to have a sense of hearing from you. And, and we want to have that awareness, but we also want you to instruct and direct in action. We take hold of these truths beyond the door, beyond tomorrow, beyond next week, that we would retain them and remember them and rely upon you that you would continue to form us and shape us. Use us for your purposes that we would grow. Oh God, we are trusting you as our Father to take us individually as your children and nurture us and help us to grow closer to you. 
that we could be formed and be more like you. That we would know your love and your love would, would literally ruminate within us and emanate from us. That you, God, would be glorified. Thank you for this night. Thank you for the study. Stir it up and Lord, may we ponder even more these beautiful truths as we grow closer to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen.